Uh, it's also a privilege to be able to be with you this morning, to be able to share God's Word, and just to be able to spend some time together with the body of Christ. And as we do that, uh, uh, we are going to, I'm going to prepare you, we're going to move around a lot in Scripture today. Uh, some of this comes from some conversations I've had recently with individuals. Some of it comes just from uh, study that I've been doing. Recently in a discipleship class, the question came up regarding who is the Holy Spirit. Uh, the individual declared that he understood who Jesus is, he understood who the Father is, but he didn't really understand who the Holy Spirit is. This is a common issue for many who are in the body of Christ, and I would even venture to say we're not just talking about those who are new to the body of Christ. Uh, the Holy Spirit is rarely even spoken of in church for multiple reasons. I'll tell you, we sing about the Holy Spirit often, uh, but rarely do we actually talk about who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, there are multiple reasons for that. Uh, for one, there is a sense of fear that is often associated with the Holy Spirit. We have equated the Holy Spirit's work as being synonymous with the Pentecostal or charismatic movement. There is a fear that if we start focusing on the work and the person of the Holy Spirit, then people may start being slain in the Spirit, speaking in tongues, or running the aisles like they used to do at all of these camp meeting revivals. Let me be clear that my goal is not necessarily to have such things happen, although those things could happen at times. I'm simply recognizing one of the reasons why the church as a whole seems to have stopped talking about the Holy Spirit. Another reason for his absence, or the absence of Holy Spirit teaching, is simply the unknown. As my friend so accurately stated, he knew who Jesus was. He could identify the work of Jesus. He was the Son of God. He was the sacrifice for our sins. He was God himself in human flesh, and he is the one who will come back for us on the day of judgment. But who or what is the Holy Spirit? I know the response that I've heard, well, you'll understand the Holy Spirit better once you've grown into your walk with Christ. But then the problem is, often we never really get around to talking about who the Holy Spirit is or what he does. Well, I'm sure that you all know by now who the Holy Spirit is and exactly what he does. But for the sake of slower people like me, I want to spend a few weeks looking at the Holy Spirit with you. My hope is that by the time we are done with this, that we will all be able to answer the question, who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? I'm going to ask you to turn with me to John chapter 14. You can turn in your Bibles there already as we look at Jesus's words regarding the Holy Spirit this morning. But as you turn, let me share with you that the Holy Spirit is and always has been God. He did not come into existence in the New Testament. Later in this series, we will actually take a look at the day of Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the entire early New Testament church. But this was not the beginning of the Holy Spirit story. Instead, we see the Holy Spirit's presence mentioned all the way back at the very beginning of creation. In the creation story, in fact, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very first verse of the Bible, we are told that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. So before the very first act of creation, we see God 
in the person of the Holy Spirit just hanging out, hovering over the waters. And then as God creates the heavens and the earth, we see that there is a plural force at work. In fact, as God creates man, the statement that is used is very much plural. He says, let us, that is a plural term, make God in, or make man, excuse me, he was not making God, he was God already. Let us make man in our, another plural term, in our image. John chapter 1 reveals that this act would have included both the Father and the Son, and the fact that Genesis has already revealed the Spirit's presence in Genesis 1, it is safe to assume that all three were, in fact, involved in the act of creation. So let me begin here today. I know we're not even into John 14 yet. I've already told you that the Holy Spirit, He is God. He is not a thing. He is a person. And every time the Holy Spirit is referred to in the Scriptures, we see the terms used in a masculine form, which is why we refer to the Holy Spirit as He. And this Holy Spirit created all things. Just as nothing was created without Jesus, nothing was created without the Holy Spirit. And while that sounds nice, much of this is what I would call historical theory, although it also could be called historical fact. I know there are many who have strong opinions on the act of creation, and those opinions don't always include an almighty creator. But the truth is that for it is far more likely that creation happened at the hands of an intelligent being, an intelligent God, than for life to have happened by chance. We recently did a series in our Wednesday night uh, discipleship study group that we, we typically have done with the adults where we looked at some of the, uh, the, the issues between science and religion. So often we have pitted them against each other, but the truth is they confirm each other. Uh, the scriptures talk about a creation act, and I know some would say, well, science says that creation didn't actually happen because of God. There was this big bang, and all of a sudden, all this material just came together. Well, here's my question. Where'd the material come from? What caused the bang? If there was something that put all of those things into existence, all the material to exist, if there was something to cause the bang, how in the world did all of those things just happen to fall into place perfectly so that life could exist on its own and not just exist, but to be able to replicate so that generations and generations and generations down the road, life would continue to exist. It could not have happened by chance. That is the most fool. It takes more faith to believe in a big bang and just a random creation than it does to believe that there is one God who created everything and caused all of life to begin. The mere fact that all those things happen tells us that there is truly a God and the Holy Spirit is a part of what we see happening in the act of creation. But what does the Holy Spirit do after creation? What does he do today? To begin this answer, let's look at John 14. We're going to begin in verse 23. I know some of you have already opened up your Bibles. John 14, beginning in verse 23, and today I'm reading from the New International Version. It says this, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. 
My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Now, this is Jesus who is speaking in this particular passage. And as he speaks, the first thing that I want you to note is who his audience would be. He is promising the Holy Spirit, but not just to anybody. He is promising the Holy Spirit to those who are in Christ. I posted something yesterday on my Facebook page and simply relating God's promise of blessing to those who give generously and faithfully to God. And I quoted a passage from Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25, which says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Obviously, this is referencing God's continued blessing and always providing more upon our generosity. God has given you much, and if you are faithful and generous with it, God will continue to bless and to give you even more. But the greatest gift, the greatest blessing of God is not going to be financial reward. It is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that if you obey my teaching, that God will come and he will dwell with you. And when his Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you, you will find that he not only created all things, but he is the one who will sustain all things for you and the rest of humanity. The first part of John 14, 26 says that the advocate, the Holy Spirit, is being sent by the Father in the name of Jesus to dwell within us. And his presence in our lives affects everything about us. I was talking with someone on Wednesday night about this. There are a few occasions where occasions in the Old Testament where God takes ordinary things and he transforms them into the extraordinary. For example, do you remember the story of Moses as he approached the burning bush? As he approaches, of course, he hears a voice from the bush. He realizes this is unusual. This bush is on fire, but it is not consumed. So, of course, he's curious, and he wants to get as close as possible to it. Suddenly, he hears a voice calls him by name. But then this voice tells him, Take off your shoes or take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. What's interesting about that is it is likely that Moses had been to that mountain over and over again as a shepherd. There are times that sheep wander off, and as they do, a shepherd will have to go and chase them down. Maybe he had even led them up in this direction previously, but on this occasion, something is different. You see, every other time he walked to that ground, 
He was never told to take off his shoes for the place where you were standing. It's holy ground. The reason is that ground was just ordinary ground. What made that ground extraordinary that day? It was the presence of a holy God. That bush that was not really just a bush, it was in many ways representative of the presence of Almighty God. God's presence in that place changed the ordinary to the extraordinary. Now I want to take that same idea and I want to go back to the presence of God, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. You may have been ordinary, but the fact is when the Spirit of God began to dwell in you, You should have been transformed just like that ground was transformed from ordinary to extraordinary. You should be transformed from ordinary to extraordinary. That means that the moment the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you are identified as unique from the rest of the world. You are identified as being special to God because you now reflect his own spirit. Later in this series, we'll address some of the ways that the Spirit begins to transform us, but what happens is His mere presence ought to be enough to change who we are, and it will sustain us when we are weak. So I want to get specific for a moment. What exactly does the Holy Spirit do? What is His role? I will tell you that He does what God does. Think about it. He is sent by the Father in the name of the Son. He's not out freelancing, just kind of out for a stroll and decides he's going to show up and do something. Instead, he is always acting as an agent of the Father. So what does he do? He draws us to the Father and the Son. And more than that, he unites us with the Father and Son. This act of uniting us with the Father and Son is often referred to as the conviction of the Holy Spirit, something we used to talk about a lot in the church. It happens often in the scriptures. We see it when Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, and thousands of people are convicted of their sin and realize that there is something wrong, and they reply to Peter, tell us what we must do to be saved, and they repent and they are saved. We see it when Philip preaches and an entire town of Samaritans place their trust in God and they believe. We see it when Paul preaches and both jailers and prisoners are transformed. They are changed into new creations. But did you know that it still happens today? The story is told of an old preacher named Leonard Ravenhill. Leonard Ravenhill was from England, yet he came to York, Pennsylvania in 1951 to preach a revival series. As he came to this town, he began to preach, and the Lord began to move mightily. There was a lady there who attended every service. She always sat on the back row and Seems like it's always easier to find people sitting on the back row than in the front row. I am so glad to see y'all on the front row. This is unusual. Nobody sits up front. I think they are afraid of my spit, and I get it because sometimes that probably happens. 
That's right. It's just another baptism. I like that attitude, too. There was a lady there who sat on the back row every service, and she took notes of all the messages. As God began working in many hearts, there was a night of prayer that was planned. About two or three o'clock in the morning, the woman suddenly cried out in agony. Leonard Ravenhill looked up at her and saw her with her hands uplifted with tears on her cheeks as she began to pray, yes, I confess I did it. I did it, Lord. I confess I committed that murder years ago. I am guilty, though someone else was blamed for it. I covered it up, but I did it. Such old-fashioned conviction was not unusual in Ravenhill's preaching. About such conviction of sin, Ravenhill later said, we don't see many convictions or conversions anymore like that. He added, we see crowded altars, but not many transformed lives. But when the Holy Spirit comes upon a sinner, he is in for an awful time of trouble until he makes peace with God. Let me suggest to you today that it is the Holy Spirit who convicts us, convincing us that we need a right relationship with God, revealing to us when we have allowed sin to exist in our lives and helping us to realize how much we need God to make up for the sin that is in our lives. I want to stop for a moment and ask you, When was the last time you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your own life? When was the last time you realized that sin had a terrible grip in your life and change was absolutely necessary? Understand that I'm not talking about just a convincing sermon that logically reveals the presence of sin in you. It's good to have those kinds of logical messages. But what I am talking about is the Holy Spirit's presence being so strong that you cannot continue the way you are. That is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And that is what I pray for all of us to experience today. Well, our passage tells us that the Holy Spirit not only draws us and unites us to the Father and to the Son, but we also see that it draws us and unites us to one another. In the latter half of verse 26, it says that he will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. You see, within this work of the Holy Spirit, we see that all of us are actually on very much on common ground. It is the same Holy Spirit that dwells in me that also dwells in you. And the same instruction that Jesus gave to his disciples are now being communicated to you and to I. We are all on equal ground. The Holy Spirit, in many ways, reminds us of the fact that we're no better than anybody else. When he calls us out on our sin, all of a sudden we begin to recognize, I'm not any better than that guy. Actually, Maybe I might even be worse. The reality is the Holy Spirit not only helps us realize where we stand with God, causing us to long for something to be made right between us and Him, but it does the same thing between each other. 
See, the Holy Spirit puts us on common ground, not only calling out our sin, but also showing us that there is one solution to our sin, and that solution being Jesus Christ. I want today to close with one final thought with you, and you say, well, he's closing already. This is awesome. But it's, it's not a short closing, sorry. It comes in two parts today. We talked about the Holy Spirit's role but I want to be as specific as possible. You see, some of what I've talked about here is somewhat generic. I talked about us all being on common ground. That's because everybody has the same thing. It's somewhat generic. It identifies the fact that the Holy Spirit is available to everybody. We're not really all that unique. But something else that we need to see is very personal about the Holy Spirit. We need to ask the question, what is the role of what is the Holy Spirit's role specifically in my life? Not talking about everybody else. You know, sometimes we can get caught up in everybody else. We see the things that they're doing, and the next thing you know, we're kind of asking. Uh, actually, it was at the, uh, the breakfast on the side of the, the shore. After Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus is there with uh, Peter and John and all these other individuals. And as Jesus is addressing Peter... Peter looks over at John and he basically says, what about him? I guess because John was the only one who had remained faithful to Jesus even at the crucifixion. Everybody else left, but John was there with Mary. So Peter says, what about him? And I love Jesus' response. Don't worry about him. Worry about you. That's my translation of it. Sometimes we get caught up in thinking about really everybody else, but I want to ask you, what is the Holy Spirit's role in your life? It would be impossible to answer that question entirely from the pulpit this morning. In fact, there are things that the Holy Spirit is likely doing in you that I have absolutely no clue about. And that is because, although I said earlier that you're not all that unique because the Holy Spirit is available to every one of us, I'll turn that around and say you are very unique and there are things the Holy Spirit is doing in you that is very different from what he is doing in me. I assure you today that he is at work specifically in you. Okay, I'm going to be transparent for a moment. I've been in the Christian walk for a very long time. In fact, it was this week, exactly 30 years ago, that I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ at a youth camp in Roanoke, Virginia. Over those 30 years, I have been constantly reminded of the fact that I am still a work in progress. I may stand up here and look like I got it all together on Sunday morning, but the truth is I am still a work in progress. And just when I think I have finally got one area of my Christian life all in check, I discover another area that I haven't even started to deal with yet. I am far from perfect. In fact, I sometimes wonder why God would ever have saved me in the first place. I'm certainly not worthy. I've got so many weaknesses and things that need to be overcome. And the more I fight this battle, the less I feel equipped to win this battle. But that is where the Holy Spirit comes into play. 
Listen to the words of Augustine, one of the early church leaders. He said, Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I, will all, uh, that I always may be holy. Amen. You see, what Augustine is saying is that I can't do all of this on my own. God, I need your help. I need the Holy Spirit's help with my thoughts, with my work, with my love, with everything there is about me. I can't do this on my own. I'm going to suggest to you that that is a great place to be if you're in the body of Christ. See, if you could somehow become good enough just by your own willpower, you, you probably don't need God. The truth is you can't. There's no way that you could ever be good enough. But the Holy Spirit dwelling in you now enables you to walk as one who is being transformed. Your life being completely changed. And those things that have defeated you, that it was too big for you to handle, you weren't strong enough, you weren't able to do it, you can walk in victory, not by your own power, but by the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. God, I need your help. I need the Holy Spirit's help with my thoughts, with my work, with my love, with everything there is about me. I thank God today that he is still at work within me, constantly molding me and shaping me into the image of Christ. I also want to encourage you with one last thing. I want to encourage you to know that he is also at work, not just in me, but through me and through you. In John 14, 27, Jesus says, peace, I leave you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Be encouraged in knowing that as the peace of God flows in you, it will also flow through you. And as that happens, you have the opportunity to be an agent of change in the world that desperately needs that peace. Allow the Spirit of God to fill you with a peace that is so foreign to our world that they will wonder where it came from. Let them see something different in you. Are bad things still going to happen in your life? Yes. Are you still going to have to deal with junk? Yes. But you can have a peace in the midst of it where the rest of the world looks and says, wow. I want you to know today that the Holy Spirit is not in you merely to take up space. The Holy Spirit chooses to dwell in you in order to change you so that you might also become an agent of change for the world around you. Will you allow the Spirit of God to fill you and then flow out of you today? 
if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you today, we have spent a great deal of time talking about your Holy Spirit. We know today that you are very real and your spirit is just as real. As we come before you today, we ask that you would allow your spirit to take root in our lives. Lord, we are so incompetent. We are not able to fix what is broken in our lives. But we invite your Holy Spirit to come in and to change who we are. I pray that right now you would begin with the act of conviction. I pray that you would convict us of the sin that we have allowed to exist within our hearts and lives. Some of our actions, they certainly don't bring honor to your name. Father, I pray today that you would, first of all, as we confess our sins, we pray that you would forgive us of those sins. But I pray that you would lay such conviction upon us that we could never be okay going back to those sins. Lord, I pray that your spirit would continually remind us of the grace that you've extended to us so that as that grace is being extended to us, well, we would not be drawn back into what was a part of our past, but that from this moment forward, that grace would be what we would continue to move toward. Lord, I pray that your spirit would cause us to run after you. Lord, I pray today for your conviction to come upon us. Lord, I pray that you would guide us every single day as those who are not ordinary. We are extraordinary. For your spirit now dwells in us. Help us to be bound closer to you than we ever have before, but help us also to be bound closer to our brothers and sisters in Christ than we ever have before. Just a moment, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. And within this act, there is a sort of binding together with you as we celebrate your sacrifice, your body being broken and your blood being shed. We reflect on how that impacts us as we are transformed from ordinary to extraordinary. You have bought us, you have paid the price by allowing your blood to be shed for us. So we do feel a, a union with you. Lord, I pray that even today we would feel a union with those who receive these elements with us. May this be an opportunity for us to be drawn closer to each other. Simply be aware of the fact that we are not in this alone. There will come a day that we will all enter into your presence. And I know we will stand before you and the Lord's not, you're not going to ask us, who, who do you have with you? Who are your witnesses? But we know that there will come a time that we will all gather together around your throne. We will worship you. And we will celebrate you. And although we come from different backgrounds and we have had different sins in our lives that identified us, we will have common ground in knowing that it is the same Savior who redeemed us. Lord, I pray today that you would give us common ground. Take these elements that we're about to use, ordinary as they may be, turn them into something extraordinary as, extraordinary as they represent your body that is broken and your blood that is shed. 
Help us today to rejoice over this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. At this time, I'm going to ask Will Gore to come, and he's going to help me serve communion to you this morning. Uh, as we do so, uh, we're just going to stand right here in the middle, and we're going to invite individuals, whenever you feel led to come forward, uh, we invite you to come. It is spread out enough where I don't know that I need to give you much other instruction. Just come and receive it. Once everyone has these elements, then we will all partake of them together. If you are unable to come forward uh, and you would like for us to bring the elements to you, wait until after everyone has received it, and I will, Will and I will both bring it to you in just a few moments. So at this time, we do invite you to come and receive the elements Is there anyone else who would like to receive the elements but was unable to come forward? All right, so I had a few individuals. This is still new to us. This is not the way we normally do communion. And I had a few individuals who have come and said, where's the, where's the rest of it? I get it, because this is not the way we normally would do it. Uh, normally, we would use the actual bread, and we would use grape juice, and this is prepackaged stuff, and uh, in the top, there is a wafer. If you'll remove the cellophane layer that is on top, you should be able to get to that wafer, and this 
is our bread that we will use. Then there's another layer that you will pull off when it comes time for you to drink the juice. But as Jesus took the bread, honestly, it didn't matter what the bread looked like. It didn't matter um, really the material. To me, this is like styrofoam. Please don't take this as insulting to the act of communion. But this is like styrofoam to me, but I'm going to tell you what it represents is so much more. It's not styrofoam, by the way. But what it represents is the body of Jesus that was broken for you. He willingly sacrificed his own body so that your sins could be forgiven. He gave his own life, not because he had to, but because... He knew there was nobody else who could do it. There was nobody else that was good enough to make up for your sin and for my sins. Jesus, as he met with his disciples, took the bread, which they used at every meal, and he said, this represents my body that is broken for you. Every time you eat this, I want you to do it in remembrance of me. They passed the bread around, then they also passed a cup around. In their culture, wine was what was drank at every meal. Jesus took the wine and he said, this represents my blood that is shed for you. So without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This wasn't a new principle. We see it all the way back in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis where we started today. When Adam and Eve committed sin, the very first sin, they tried to cover up their own nakedness with fig leaves not very effective. So when God intervened, he took the skin of an animal and he used it to cover up their shameful nakedness. It was the sin that created the problem, but it was the blood that found the solution. Jesus Christ was the ultimate solution as his blood shed for us, paid the price for every sin that would ever be committed. He said, this represents my blood that is shed for you. And every time you drink it, I want you to remember what I did for you. Father, once more, we come before you and we simply celebrate who you are and what you have done. We do find a sense of commonality amongst each other here today. We were all sinners, but we have all been redeemed by the same Savior the same body that was broken, the same blood that was shed, paid the price, not just for my sins, but the sins of every individual who is with us today, whether on site or online. And I pray today that you would help us to recognize that we are one in you. But our commonality is really found in you. Father, I pray today that you would help us to be one with you. Help our lives to be transformed. We talked this morning about the Spirit coming and dwelling in us. Make us one with you. It's been made possible by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now I pray that your Spirit being in us would truly make us one with you. Father, I pray that you would transform everything about us so that we reflect your presence in us. In Jesus' name we pray. It is a blessing to know that we are one in Christ and we are one as the body of Christ. My prayer is that you will experience the Holy Spirit's power and presence in you like you never have before. And I simply want to invite you as I get ready to dismiss you 
to begin praying that the Holy Spirit would come over this church, that the same conviction that I talked about from Leonard Ravenhill's preaching back in 1951 would come upon the church today in a fresh and new way, that the people of God would be so hungry for a move of the Holy Spirit that God would move in us to where we could not be the same. It's not a choice at that point, but rather the Holy Spirit's presence being so real to us that we could not be okay with being the people that we once were. That's the kind of transformation that I long for personally, and I pray that the entire church would experience it. So I invite you today to begin to pray that the Holy Spirit would move in that way among these people here. It is such a blessing to have you with us today, and... Go in peace, and hopefully I'll see you back next week. So.